Hi, guys, and welcome back. We're on episode number 38. Angela, how are you, my dear? I'm doing good, babe. How about you? I'm good. Yeah, we are back in the bunkie, guys. No, we haven't recorded in here in a little bit, but it feels really good energetically, doesn't it? It does. I Well, I love this space. It's... Uh, that's where I get to do the magic, right? Um, so we have the fire going. The windows are going to be open, I'm sure, in a little bit because it gets pretty toasty and Angela's a hot body. So. <laughs> I'm a hot body. <laughs> I know why I run so hot, but I do. Because you're fire, babe. You're fire. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Her element is fire, guys, just so you know. Um, there's earth, air, wind. No, I always go earth, air, wind. Air and wind are the same. <laughs> earth, air, uh, fire and water. Yeah. And so Angie's element is fire, just so when we refer to that, you have a background knowledge of what that is. Awesome. Awesome. What are we talking about today there, lady? I want to dive in on parenting and the chakras. So a lot of what I do working with energy, um, with Reiki and moving things, major connection that I have is with the chakras. And so they are energy systems. Um, they show up as discs in the body. And we've done, we've talked about the chakras before, but if you're new to the podcast or if this is your first episode or you just didn't listen to that last episode, that's cool. Um, it's about, um, so the chakras, there's seven major ones. There's actually more in the body. There's over 200, but the seven ones that people refer to. And when we say the chakras, that's what we're talking about are they run from the pelvis um, to above the top of your head. And the reason that those are the seven major chakras is because those are the ones that actually sit in, around, and with your major internal organs. So if there's a disruption, if there's a blockage, if there's something going on there, it's really going to mess up your body, right? If you um, have a chakra in your arm that's blocked, probably not going to give you a heart attack the same way that your heart chakra being clogged and blocked over time will impact your heart. So that's why we kind of focus on those seven. The other ones are kind of mini ones throughout the body, still important. That's why we do Reiki, it's fun, and it clears those, but the major ones that we talk about are the seven. And so when I think about life and when I refer to things, I usually come back to the chakra system. So I had this download the other day and it was so cool. Just like, I love when things come in and it's just like, whoa, I didn't know that before and now I know it and I know it to be true. And so it was in reference to parenting and the chakras. So I had a client who, um, her concern was very much, am I doing enough for my baby? Right. And as new moms or as seasoned moms, we often think about what am I doing or not doing that is good for my child or is it enough? Am I doing the right thing? There's that insecurity because we don't have a manual and we are learning as we go. And as our kids grow, we have to learn what suits them best. And so I want to talk a little bit about how to parent in reference to those chakras. And so as we move through life, we actually grow into each chakra, which is pretty cool. If you think about a baby who is born, the only thing that that baby really needs is food, shelter, sleep, bodily functions, right? They really are in that root chakra, basic human needs. That's all they need. Um, and that's how they replenish their energy is sleeping. They sleep a lot, hopefully, unless you have a colic baby, right? Um, so they really require connection, human touch, which is 
a basic human need. They require food. They require uh, that shelter piece. All of those things are very much connected to that root chakra. They don't require play or deep thought or all of those things, right? And as they move and grow and develop, they move into the next chakra, which is the sacral chakra. And that's when potty training happens. That's when they start to realize, that, oh, it feels good when I, you know, touch my body, right? I think of my sons and my daughter um, who are very much, Coralie's right in that stage right now. And depending on which theorists you listen to, um, there is different ones that kind of, they call this the phallic stage, right? They're, okay. They become very obsessed with um touching their body and just noticing that when I touch my penis, it feels good. Or, you know, when I rub um, this way, it feels nice or whatever. Right. Um, so that's very much the sacral chakra, which is sexuality, creativity. And that's when we start to notice their brains are actually developing in a place of, they want to do more things. They have expanded their brain in a way that um, creative play, creative ideas, they start to become their own person, right. Starts to happen. And, so that piece they move into. And now I want to elaborate in that as they move through, they also go back to other chakras that they have been tapped into. So as they're climbing, they're not necessarily there and staying there. They would go back to the other ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So and we're all that way. We all need all of our chakras operating to be living our best adult human life. But they still require food, shelter, sleep, right? But they've moved into another stage. So it's in addition to that root chakra, they now are operating in sacral chakra. The next one that is really neat, and I think Theodore and Felix, Angie's oldest and my oldest, who are six, are getting into this place. And it's, so solar plexus is um, stepping into your power, feeling powerful, inner power, confidence, body image. And when we're in this place, anxiety can show up. Mm -hmm. And one worry. of the worry yeah. and very much the recognition of what other people will think, mm -hmm. right? And starting to get to that place where oh, I don't want I don't want you to kiss me in front of my friends or I'm not going to hug you when we're out in public they start to kind of have this knowledge of what will people think right mm -hmm. so that judgment piece they become aware of that whereas I look at younger kids mm -hmm. probably our younger kids too yeah. right like the ones Nolan and Coralie they don't give a shit yeah they don't care he long. wants hugs and kisses all day long and yeah. he doesn't care who's looking Felix mm -hmm. has just kind of gotten to this place where it's like oh um, that might make me look silly. Yeah. Right. They become aware of who they are to other people. Mm -hmm. Right. And they are able to reflect on what will that person think of what I'm doing. And so that sits very much in that solar plexus as they move into heart chakra, thinking of high school aged kids that love peace self-love, falling in love, feeling loved becomes important in a way that it probably didn't show up a ton before, right? And the important thing to remember is these are all fluid, but it works in a way that at, as they move through, it becomes more prominent, mm -hmm. right? So you think about in 
grade two, they might think that they, you know, this is my best friend or oh, this is my boyfriend, but they're not actually thinking, I love this person and have an understanding of that. But by grade seven and eight, you start to see that little touch of, huh, I really like that person. And by high school, you might be in love for the first time. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say, in addition to that, that I, I'm hearing you say, Ashley, is that it's not that the needs aren't being met for all the other areas for all the other areas, it's that that need becomes a primary focus at that stage for you to feel like your life is complete. Like for example, if a boy loves you when you're like in grade 10 and a boy is like, you are my everything. That is like, you might not even eat. You, might not say, you don't care if you, you don't eat. care. You don't, don't care. Skip sleep. You, you don't know? care about what your parents are saying. Maybe you're not even worrying about if you're going to flunk your test. Like that is the thing that's prominent. So whatever that thing is in that stage, what I'm hearing you say is like, it's not that the other needs aren't there. It's just, you kind of are so hyper-focused on that yes. one need that the other needs are like, they almost dissipate a little bit. Right. Well, and think about it. So up until that point, you probably care very much what your friends think. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you fall in love, you move into the next chakra and you fall in love. And then you maybe give up on your friends a little bit. I was in a situation way back in high school where, yeah, I was all about my friends. And then yes. first boyfriend fell in love and I, he didn't want me to go to parties. I didn't go to parties. He oh didn't want God, me to me too. Me talk too. to other boys. It was a controlling and maybe not ideal relationship. <laughs> Definitely not. And I know, Angie, you were in a similar situation, but that love meant so much more than kind of feeling good in those other areas. So yeah, absolutely. What you said, it's when we're developing in that chakra, it is absolutely hyper-focused mm-hmm. and the only thing that matters. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so as we move through that heart chakra, and again, right, they all keep operating. Love is still very important as adults or for children. But when we're in high school, that's when we step into that and develop it. The next one is throat chakra, which is speaking your truth, saying what you need to say, and just overall communication, which is really important, obviously, throughout But when you think about after high school, when you become a young adult, all of a sudden you have to start advocating for yourself. You have to get a job, which means you need to speak to an employer. You need to speak to other people. You need to be able to communicate in a way who you are and what you believe in and what you're willing to do through words, right? Whereas prior to that, it's very much in connection to our actions or because somebody else has told me to do this. All of a sudden we have this voice that is just our own. And I think of when I was in university, for example, all of a sudden I realized I had a voice in connection to who I was, not just the things that I was doing or because I was told to do something. My actions were in alignment with that voice piece. And so The next one, as we move up, is in the forehead. And so it's important to recognize, too, that not everybody successfully moves through a chakra. So this is where blockages can happen. This is where core beliefs can be formed. So let's say you don't actually function properly in one of those areas. Let's say love, the idea of love and what that is, becomes a really skewed idea. 
or you get cheated on or your heart gets broken. It makes sense that maybe you do try to move to the next um, chakra, but you can't. Exactly. And when we get stuck, our maturity kind of stops, Mm, right? And that's where, so you think about, we all know people who seem just stuck in one area Mm -hmm. or they don't really go beyond, let's say high school drama, Mm -hmm. right? We, we all know people who haven't evolved past that, that drama piece, that high school, um, I just think of like 14 year old girls being like bitchy and catty and like gossipy talk and smack about stuff. And it's, I think, Oh, you haven't really fully moved through heart chakra and also solar plexus where it's just, you're just stuck there. And so it's almost as though from a maturity standpoint, you're stuck at that level, Mm -hmm. which just seems lower. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and okay, so I got sidetracked there. That's okay. <laughs> the story of our lives. Um, so the next one is intuition. This is what what spiked it. Um, that derailing is um, so intuition is not something that everybody uses. Everybody has it, but lots of people haven't moved into that chakra. And that is knowing something because you know it without that rational piece behind it. So a lot of people operate in the, well, this makes sense. This is the plan. This is how it's organized. This is right. And we like to function in that because it feels safe. Intuition is not that place. And so the way that I describe intuition is it's almost like there's two brains and there really isn't. There isn't. We only have one brain in our head. I know that. But I, the way that it makes sense to me is imagine you have two brains. There's your human brain, which is the thinky thinky, the rational, good for planning, good for doing math brain. And then there is the soul brain. And the soul brain is very much your intuition, why you're here on this planet, why your soul showed up and all those little nudges that you get along the way. That's your soul. That's your soul's brain, right? And if you look at those two, the human brain, it's all about keeping you safe, keeping you alive because it's rooted in you being a human and staying on this planet, right? That's the human brain. As soon as you die, the human brain goes away. And so it wants to just keep you alive. It wants to keep you safe. It wants to keep you cautious. And that's why we maybe stay in that crap ass job that isn't serving us, but it's very safe. It pays the bills. It doesn't matter that I'm miserable. I just have to do it. Right. And then there's the soul brain and the soul brain doesn't care if you live or die because your soul is eternal or it carries on forward. Right. And so it's here for you to live your best life, for you to reach your maximum and ultimate potential. And so what happens when we use that intuition, when we go to that chakra, we are in balance with those two, right? And so being intuitive is very effective and very important so that we live a life of joy, bliss, happiness, and become who we are. And who our soul showed up to be. However, we are also human. We do need that side of the brain. I'm not saying that that should just be tossed to the wayside. You need that human brain 
because, well, we do need to add, we do need to be able to read, we do need to be able to plan trips, not just like show up at the airport and away we go. Sometimes that's really nice. I trust the planes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Universe, my intuition tells me that there's probably going to be a plane here. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Directions, I think yeah. of, right? Directions, um, that's very much a soul brain thing. Mm-hmm. Don't go based on your intuition on like what feels right when you're going somewhere you don't know. And so having the balance of both of those, and that's where intuition is important that when we operate in that space, it's in balance. We know when to use our intuition and we know when to use our rational brain. It's not about operating completely in one. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us like to operate in the human brain Mm -hmm. because it feels safe. And so finding that balance is when that one opens up. And the last one, which is oh, um, self-actualization, is if you go based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, he's another theorist, but basically when we reach our absolute fullest potential and become both human, right, when everything below is in alignment, then we reach this divine place. And that's our connection to whatever you choose to call it. Doesn't matter if you call it universe. Doesn't matter if you call it God. Doesn't matter if you call it source. Doesn't matter if you call it fucking purple. It literally, because we think, oh, God will be mad if I don't call him God. God is divine. Mm-hmm. He does not care. In the same way that your kids can call you mom, mummy, mother, they could call you dickhead. It wouldn't change the fact that you gave birth to them and you are, in fact, them all. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the name you gave it, give it doesn't really matter. Well, it doesn't matter at all. And so when we are connected to that higher self, that higher purpose, that higher thing, all of a sudden life can be experienced from a state of bliss. And that that means that no matter what is going on in your world, no matter how hard you can step back from it and see the beauty in it because it's a human experience and instead of being inside of all the emotions of it you're actually outside of it watching observing and seeing the beauty in that Mm. yeah and so moving through those chakras thinking about where are your children where are they at what's coming next and being in that open space and if you find that you're somebody who has been blocked based on an experience right so let's say Somebody in high school broke your heart. You, you feel like you're unlovable, mm-hmm. right? And so becoming very aware as your kids move through that, um, or if you don't have kids and you just realize, oh, there was a blockage there, really taking the time to explore that core belief and not pushing a blockage on your kids, mm-hmm. right? Because we, based on our experiences, that's how we parent. Mm-hmm. Here's what I know to be true about the world. And so I parent in this way. Mm-hmm. and stepping back from maybe your own truth because that's what we are creating as you move through the chakras is you're creating your truth who you are what you believe and the way you choose to operate in the world comes from the movement through those chakras and so looking at your kids and helping them expand through that development and that chakra so that they don't get stuck right Mm -hmm. So for the person listening then, Mm -hmm. I think we should talk about what that looks like in the way that we're communicating and interacting with our kids based on where they're at. And I think that's where when your client said, hey, I don't know if I'm doing enough. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'm 
doing what I'm supposed to be doing at this stage, depending on where they're at, maybe we should talk about how parenting should look different or how those conversations should look depending on the stage that they're at. So somebody is at basic needs, Mm -hmm. baby, doing their thing. What do you think are the key things that a parent should do? What should they be focusing on? Because we can't do it all. We We can't can't, do it all and keep our sanity. So what are the key things that they should be focusing on when somebody is at that first stage? First stage is feed them. (laughs) <laughs> number one right you think but about the first thing feed them, but don't worry about yes. meal being perfect and and literally how you feed them doesn't matter just feed them right and so with this client she she has an like almost a new baby a few months old and the worry was what if I'm not doing enough what if I'm not giving enough playtime what if I'm stimulating too much what if I'm not stimulating enough and I literally said are you feeding your baby and she said yes <laughs> I said Good. <laughs> then you're doing like at least one third of what they need. Mm-hmm. Are they sleeping? Yes. How they sleep? I don't care if you drive them in the car. I don't care if you put them in a swing. I don't care if they're stuck to your body. I just, like they need sleep. The other thing that comes down to a basic need that I think a lot of parents don't necessarily, I think this is where a lot of moms toggle and struggle is, should I hold my baby all the time? Mm-hmm. Yes. If you want to, if they need it, yes. And if you as the mom want to. Yes, that's if exactly you, and But if you as the mom don't want to hold them and you're like, you know what, I that's not me. I think give yourself permission for that, for you to not be that mom too. Right? Absolutely. Like, and it goes based on need. Yes. If your child needs you to hold them, needs you to pick them up, pick them up. Mm-hmm. But you can pop them in a chair if they're happy. Mm -hmm. right? You don't have to do it all the time, but it's about meeting their basic needs. Mm -hmm. And we don't think of this as necessarily a need, but touch is a need. Mm -hmm. Holding your baby helps their brain develop. Yes. Which is kind of cool, right? And so letting go of the idea that your baby should cry or that your baby should sleep in a bassinet or sleep in the crib right away. They, if they don't, if that's a struggle, let go of the notion that you're going to spoil your baby or that you're going to create bad habits because right now you're meeting their needs in the next chakra. As you move through them, things are going to change, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't carry my six year old everywhere. Yeah. Even if he wants to, it's not a need at this point. Let's be vulnerable a little bit here. Let's talk about the ways in which our kids slept. I feel like for the person listening, <laughs> totally. yeah, we have crazy stories. We but do. I feel like okay. There's probably other moms who have done that, like craziness with the, trying to get their kids to sleep or what sleep looks like. Mm-hmm. So maybe if we just share that a little bit vulnerably and openly, people can be like, okay, it's okay <laughs> to be doing these crazy Woo. things because moms don't talk about it as much. So I'm no. just, and we don't know if it's normal. No, exactly. And we feel guilty if our kids don't sleep mm-hmm. through the night, right at three months. And you know, exactly. what if we're co-sleeping and what if we're nursing yeah. them to sleep or what if we're giving them a bottle or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's, so much, you there's so much stigma. So yeah. So with my oldest, we were doing breastfeeding, so we just co-slept, I think, nine or ten months and then tried to put him in the crib. And it was, like, much of a struggle for about a week. And then everything was golden after that point. Um, but I don't know. When you're breastfeeding, it's so much easier just to be in the same bed and to rock the co-sleeping. It was working totally fine. My husband slept in the other room, and we were, like, golden with that. 
the transition over was a little bit of a struggle because I felt pressure to, he needs to be sleeping on his own independently at like four months or whatever. I don't know, whatever they tell you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, he, he seems happy. And then we tried to do the like cry it out method at that stage. I'm like, this isn't working. So then when we eventually did it, it was a little bit of a struggle to like get him to actually sleep in the crib. Um, but that was golden. The second one's like totally a different story. We just realized that like he wouldn't sleep in a bassinet and wouldn't sleep with us. So we're like, okay, you like sleeping in the car seat. So for like almost the first year of his entire life, he slept in a car seat every single night. Me thinking like, I hope I don't mess your body up. But (laughs) I would use, um, I would use a blanket. I know you've used this methodology Mm -hmm. too, where you just put the blanket, you put the bottle into their mouth while they're (laughs) like there. I'm like, Oh, there's so much stigma over those things, but it's Mm -hmm. like, this might just be the way that our babies like to sleep. Let that be a thing. Absolutely. And so it's interesting. One thing, I know the co-sleeping and the breastfeeding, as it was happening, you were, um, you were totally in that space. But I remember being pregnant with Sully and you said, we're going to do it different. So your second son, your second child, you're like, yeah, but I'm not going to do it that way. It worked really good with one child, my first, and that was a really good fit. But I remember you saying, we probably won't do that with this one. Well, it was four years later. So yeah. even myself and how I felt. Yeah. My first one, I was like, I do not. Like, my first one caused, I don't know if it was anxiety or, like, just nervous about everything and worried about doing the right things. But with the second one, I'm like... You just have to chill out, girl. You need to not be stressed about all the little, all the little things, mm-hmm. undivided attention all of the time. That was that's one way where I think it went a little wrong with my first kid. And I mean, like hindsight's twenty twenty. But I gave him like all the attention all of the time, all of you, mm-hmm. at all. And I feel like with that, I in hindsight, I'm like, okay, I feel like with the second one, I'm gonna give him like attention love but he needs to be able to play independently but based on need mm-hmm. i will attend to you i will sit mm-hmm. with you i'll play with you i'll do all those things yes because you need it but you don't need it mm-hmm. all of the time exactly right. so so yeah no i think that was one thing and then i also in hindsight felt like i, I felt like for the first one a lot of the ways in which i parented was like following the rules like yeah I I got mad at my husband I was like our child cannot watch television before he's two years old Mm -hmm. like things like that where it's like I was really caught up in all of these rules they have to hit this milestone by this age and I was really caught up in that world so it was like second time around four years later a little bit more mature about it um I was like fed is best whatever works if my boobs don't produce but I'm still I don't know if I told you I'm still lactating (laughs) I am too girl that's so funny I'm not like I'm not like I'm not actually like it's not coming out like there's no letdown but if I actually express milk I was gonna say if I squeeze it's like squirting across the room (laughs) oh my gosh like it's okay see you I just think it's hilarious my thought pattern is like my child stopped breastfeeding like forever ago but I did have a lot of milk at that stage but yeah I'm still that's so funny. so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but, I am, but it's not squirting. Like, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. I could hit a bullseye if I tried. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just, yeah, that worked really well the first time because that just made a lot of sense for me. It made a lot of sense for everybody. But yeah, second time around, I was like, we, we're going to approach this differently. Amazing. But yeah, the, 
car seat when it was happening i'm like girl we have done some crazy i remember stuff. oh girl I, you have to tell them about the rope from the ceiling <laughs> oh to swing god. your children oh which my god the, oh my amazing god. but that's just like this is what my baby needs i'm not going to try to make my babe fit into this mold of okay they have to sleep here mm-hmm. honestly totally so i'll talk first about felix where um he nursed he nursed for 14 months which was a lot. <laughs> but again, I was just trying to follow the rules. I was trying to do what I thought he needed and he did need that. So all good. But so we nursed to sleep and I would eventually got to a point where I would like carefully carry him over to his mm-hmm. bed and then I'd bring him back and I'd nurse him because I can't sleep with kids touching me, mm. which is this weird dichotomous thing that we're still navigating, not with Felix, but with Coralie. <laughs> Anyways, so he was okay, but wasn't sleeping through the night. And at 14 months, we were literally strolling around our kitchen mm-hmm. and he was screaming for two and a half hours. So I was somebody who was like, I am never sleep training. I can't let my baby cry to sleep. They obviously need me. It goes against every fiber in my being, blah, blah, blah. Well, at that point, I realized this Sleep training you is better and will be better for you because he's not supposed to be awake for two and a half hours in the night. Mm-hmm. That's not good for him. Mm-hmm. I realized I'm like, or me, right? Like it's not good for either of us, but I realized, oh, your needs have changed now. Mm-hmm. You need to sleep and mm-hmm. I need to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And so we sleep trained him. Holy moly. That was the hardest thing. It gets easier with each kid, but the first kid I was like, oh my gosh, letting him scream. And we did the like gentle method where it was like, Mm -hmm. go in after like three minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes. And then you just kind of keep laying them down, saying the same thing and you leave. But oh, it was hard. Oh my gosh. So hard with the first baby. Like, I feel like Sully didn't have any of that. Like (laughs) hardness. (laughs) Empathy piece. I'm just like, I know you're fine. Whereas the first one. No, but he also didn't scream for four hours. Right. True. It yeah. would just be like, eh, this uh, I'm good. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know, maybe like the longest would be like, I don't know, a few minutes, but not, not the same. Whereas like the first ones, it was like three hours. hours. I'm like, Oh my God, three hours. Like, but I think maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know either. That second child, it was the same for us where it was like, this was easier for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's just, yeah, their souls are different or just second borns are different or I don't know. But um, and I'm sure there's listeners out there right now who are like, my second born was the hardest, right? Yeah. Um, but each kid comes into the family that they're meant to. Yes. But yeah. So, and then Nolan, oh my goodness. I tossed all the rules with Nolan. I was like, I don't care how you sleep. You just need to sleep. Mm-hmm. So he was in the swing from day one to sleep. And there's people that, out there who were like, that was the car seat attached to the, not quite oh, yet. Yeah. Okay. So when oh, he first came home, swing, he was swing. in the swing oh, or, um, I think it was a glider. Seat. Yeah. Okay. So he was in a glider and we did the soother. We did the swing. We did the right. Like just everything to keep you sleeping. I don't care how you sleep. I need you to sleep. Yes. And then we built our house and no longer had the glider. And discovered that he wasn't sleeping well in the crib and wanted that upright position in the car seat. So, yeah, that was... And you can only swing with your arm for so long. I used to watch you do that. Right? be like, oh my God, you're the best mom ever. (laughs) I'd be so fit. My arms are going to be so jacked. I'm going to be so mad at my kids. (laughs) So, we did that for a while. 
and then my husband, so I came out, it was, I was like, you just have to take him. I can't do any more of this. And so I came out, I was like, how did you get him sleeping? And he literally, yeah, he had a rope tied. We have like old barn beams in our house. He has it tied to the barn beam, (laughs) a big long rope that in my opinion, looked a lot like a noose. I was like, oh my God. And then had this car seat and he was just sitting on the stool and just like pushing, pushing, pushing. And he was asleep in three seconds and slept all night. I'm like, I don't care what people think when they come into my house and they see this 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 car seat hanging from the ceiling. This is our life. And we did that. We probably did it for six or eight months because that's how he wanted to sleep. That's how he went to sleep. That's how he stayed asleep. And so we rocked that. And we got, he, at not even eight months, he was done breastfeeding. So yeah, popping that bottle in and away he went. Like it was glorious. I think back, I'm like, why did I ever struggle so hard with Felix? Like literally strollering him around the kitchen or down the block. Oh my goodness, our old neighbors, they'd still giggle. They're like, oh my God, I remember it being like 1 a.m. and you're carting around this, the block, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just to get that kid asleep. And so, yeah. And then Coralie, um, she's kind of a mix of everything. I just went with whatever you need, whatever gets you to sleep. We, we rock that train. She... Yeah, rocked a bottle right away. No problem. She breastfed for a bit. Um, but yeah, there was no stress with her. And I think it's maybe just because she was the third. And I was like, I don't care how you eat, eat. I don't care how you sleep, sleep. You need to snuggle, he snuggle, right? Yeah. But um, to this day, all of my kids still crawl into bed every once in a while. Yeah. And so Felix crawled in this morning at six and just said, Mom, can I snuggle with you? I'm like, yes, of course. Coralie, if she wakes up in the night, we pull her into bed because that's how she goes to sleep. That's Nolan. Often he comes over with his pillow and he just like sneaks in the middle. He doesn't say a word. He just like plunks himself down. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we roll with that. I don't sleep well when they're in my bed, but they obviously need that. So it happens maybe once a week, but it's not a frequent thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're just that's how we move through that there's that super vulnerable like we have done a lot of crazy things for our kids to sleep or for our kids to eat I think it's just giving people permission that honestly I think everybody comes in as as a new mom wants all the rules wants the playbook wants to know this is how to do it and I think the thing that we messed up with both of both of us. So I think when this first came in and becoming a mom, maybe we struggled to really trust the intuition by baby two and baby three. It's like my intuition knows yes. this. Oh, and I need and to just listen. Brain. Yes. Using the human brain, which is the yeah. rule book. This is how it's supposed to be. This is what my yeah, grandma said. This is right. Yeah. Like, Versus no, I, I, intuitively I know, know about my kid. I can just see it. I can sense it. And the biggest advice that we have for moms or anybody who's like in a parental role is, you know, your kid best. Yes. You just need to trust the intuition within you of like, it doesn't, you don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to say like, okay, this is the way we always do things. Yeah. You got to just roll with what feels right. And I don't think on a Monday that might vary from a Thursday. And then on a Sunday, it's a little bit different, but. And I think the big thing that comes with that is you are the expert on your kid. Their soul chose you. You are the expert. Mm -hmm. Your mom's not the expert. Your sister's not the expert. Your best friend who has a different kid, not the expert. Exactly. 
But the big thing is we just don't know on that Mm -hmm. first kid. We don't know what is right. Mm -hmm. And so dipping into that intuition feels a bit scary because Mm -hmm. we're afraid of screwing it up. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think when it comes to that intuition, that is something that is learned over time. Right. I feel like it's the same as trusting yourself to eat the chocolate bar and not eat 30 chocolate bars. You have to just take the leap and totally trust with no justification. When people are like, well, why did you make that choice? Or what was it? I just know. I just know that that you don't need any justification. You don't need an explanation. It's just, I know because I know. And then you learn to trust yourself more being like, Hey, okay. This, when I don't trust my intuition, this is how that situation plays out. And if I do trust my intuition, this is how it plays out. And don't you think that intuition, we step into intuition when we let go of the fear of what other people will think. Totally. Right? If I was worried about my kids sleeping in a car seat and what will my mom think? Mm -hmm. What will my best friends think when they show up and they see this rope and this car seat, right? Am I going to be embarrassed that this is that I can't get my kid to sleep in a conventional way? And so a lot of that intuition also means stepping into who you are as a mom and letting go of what other people might think Mm -hmm. and not caring what other people might think. Mm -hmm. Trusting that intuition, trusting yourself so deeply that you can say, well, this is what works for us and be confident in that. Mm-hmm. And you know how we often talk about changing the language. So we will talk about obstacle be like, if you see an obstacle, you're, um, we often will say like, it's an opportunity, right? So yes. we're switching the wording. Yes. So here, if we're thinking about this whole situation, it's like somebody might have their judgment that shows up and the criticism. And so you might feel embarrassed. The rewording of that is like, they might not see it as creative, but you uh-huh. need to use that rewording and that reframing of, yes. no, this isn't a thing that's bad. This choice that I've made for my child is a creative solution. I right? love that. Yes. That reframing, the rewording of that. Versus it being like, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's like conventional, right? Yes. Versus creative. I love that. Right? And so conventional. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And that's standing up for yourself advocating in a way that um yeah it's different cool I am different yeah and I love it I love isn't it, it great right like I love when people say oh well, that's weird oh weird is like my favorite thing and they're like oh <laughs> yeah right? you're like yeah I know it's isn't it amazing and most people though in that situation when you can just it's not even justification it's just like a one-liner of isn't that a creative solution versus going into this whole, like, Oh, I should give them like a five page or five to justify. You don't need to give them a five statement justification about the reason why you're doing what you're doing as their mom. It's it's kind of creative. Isn't it? Right. And so you just sit in that and see what they say. Yeah. And so for all you new moms out there who are doing something (laughs) unconventional, it's creative. Go with that. If you want to, you can. But yeah, yeah, I just think it's everything is language and perspective, right? With that. Um, And giving yourself permission, I think, right? It's the more you do it, though, too, it's like the easier it becomes, but the more you're like not worried because the people that are like, yeah, I really can see it that way. Those are your people. 
the people that can't see it that way that are kind of like, oh, they don't even know what to say back when you're like, yeah, it's kind of creative. They're like, uh, and standing in that truth, yeah. right? Yeah. One thing that keeps showing up, like in my brain, is supper, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us think our kids should finish everything on their plate, and our kids mm-hmm. should, you know, dessert comes last, and all of that. And it comes from an old school belief that yeah. being wasteful is not okay, right? And so that's something that even so, even if your intuition says this is how I do it, mm-hmm. and the people around you are giving you flack for maybe doing it a way that they wouldn't do it or that they haven't done it in the past. Mm-hmm. It's standing in that. I have to do that at supper with my family mm-hmm. very much. My kids, when they're done eating, go play mm-hmm. and yep, you can have dessert. And when you're full on that, you don't have to finish that. Right. And I know that it drives my one sister-in-law crazy that my kids leave the table and my mom very much wants my kids to finish their plate. One more bite, two more bites. You know, you're three, you get three bites, right? And I just think, ugh, I don't love that. And even though it's not creative, I'm not being creative. I just am following my gut in that when my kids are full, go play and come back when you're hungry and we'll rock that train. And so I think you are going to come up in situations in your life where you still have to do you, even if there's judgment, even if somebody else would do it different, not thinking, oh, well, when we go to my mom's house, my kids have to sit at the table, even though they never do it at home. No, do you the do what works for your life? Consistencies for children are like the worst thing you can have. It's like, here's your set of rules when you're at mom's house. Right. Here's your set of rules when you're at dad's house. Here's your set of rules at grandma's house. Here's your set of rules when you're at Aunt Patty's. For, like, a five-year-old's brain, they're, like, I don't too much to organize. Right? And when you can just sit in that, you're, like, okay, you know what? No, we are just going to advocate. And, like, they're not – there's a line between being respectful and being disrespectful. Your Absolutely. child isn't chucking their food and throwing it, it at your Aunt Sue and saying, no. like, something mean. Right. They're literally full. They're done. They either sit here super antsy and we try to fit them into a box or we go, hey, you know what? I can have a great conversation with you if we let the kids leave the table. And that's what I say. It's like, this is way better for me if I just let them go play because if I have to police them at the table, they're going to be, they are going to throw food at Aunt Sue. Well, it's kind of like watching paint dry. They're like... Okay, I have to sit here for three more minutes and watch paint dry. While my mom talks to my grandma. Exactly, and that's really boring. They're going to cause shit. That's when they're going to take the salt shaker and like totally. try to chug it or yeah. do something because... Yeah. And then they get in trouble boring. for that. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. Anyways, that's just one example where I think mm-hmm. you're going to... You're going to have opportunities to say, oh, that was a great thing that I did and mm-hmm. celebrate that and turn that judgment into a, I'm amazing mm-hmm. or... Also, you're also going to come up against certain situations where you just have to stay true and be strong. Totally. So do it. Mm-hmm. You, we're with you. Mm-hmm. Just keep doing what is best for you and your kids. And yeah, when it comes back to that chakra piece is thinking about what do my kids need most right now? Mm-hmm. So in that solar plexus, they need reassurance. Yeah, I mean, I guess we didn't really get past we, Yeah, we went but our kids are young so I think there will be some lessons as they move up and as we go through the podcast where we'll be able to give more personal anecdotes for each of that but really our kids are mostly in those first two just based on the age of them right absolutely Mm -hmm. right and so 
regardless of where your kids are at, really just exploring what that might look like for them Mm -hmm. and helping them not to form negative core beliefs Mm -hmm. based on what they experience in that place. Right. And so if your kids are in solar plexus where, you know, somebody was mean to them and that really devastated them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not everybody's mean. And sometimes, right. Giving them the tools and the strategies versus kind of slapping it off being like moving into a different chakra. We're like, well, you don't need that. Mm -hmm in that, that situation, that is their hyper-focus. They do, they do need that reassurance, mm-hmm. right? And finding that, and same with heart chakra, right? So let's say you've got a teenager who's, you know, in love for the first time, talking to them, finding out what that looks like when they are struggling, when they do go through a breakup, right? Not just being like, well, they weren't right for you anyways. Um, you, they obviously weren't, you know, the one and moving on. Right. Because then it leaves that child with that experience to form whatever core belief they want Mm -hmm. or whatever is innate to that situation Mm -hmm. versus going and really exploring like that really hurts. Mm -hmm. I have been hurt, too. There is still good people. There is still good love. There is you're meant to enjoy. Right. Like Mm -hmm. really tapping into whatever they're experiencing, whatever shocker that they are developing through and joining them in that versus kind of just like being uncomfortable and wanting them to move on. Mm -hmm. I think is regardless of what one they are in as far as parenting goes and being gentle with yourself, Mm -hmm. right. And leaning into that intuition. So when your 16 year old climbs into bed and cries, you're not thinking, Oh my God, this is abnormal. Just lean into that and Mm -hmm. talk to them because they're hurting. They need that, right? So I'm here whenever you're ready kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Being open and Mm -hmm. honest. And yeah, I mean, we're not there yet, but I think one of the key pieces of all of that that I think about is just meeting the child exactly where they're at so that they know that they're not alone. And that's where vulnerability Mm -hmm. is so key. Like we can think back and remember what it was like to be a 16 year old girl and how that felt and mm-hmm. as they're sharing like whatever it is that's going on instead of trying to correct it meeting them exactly there like I remember what that felt like too yes. and not you want to change the course of their world or you want it to look different but like I remember what it's like for that and I think so many of us we seek that we don't seek mm-hmm. to have a solution no we seek to be understood mm-hmm. and so when somebody understands and can resonate whether it's your parent or your friend, just with that listening, that active listening ear. It's like you hear what I'm saying. Yes. And it's safe without judgment, without guidance, without anything. Right. Absolutely. And I think too, this has been going on with Coralie a little bit. She doesn't want to go to daycare. It's fine. I know her daycare provider is fantastic. She's wonderful. She has a great time when she's there, but anytime that we're going in that direction, she's like, she does not want to go. Mm-hmm. And Instead of saying, it's okay, it's okay, you're going to have fun, it's going to be awesome, I... That's not the right thing to say. It's... As much as that's what I want to say, because that's what I know, mm-hmm. that doesn't help her. Mm-hmm. I know you don't want to go, sweetheart. I know. It's hard doing things that we don't want to do. Mommy loves you. I will pick you up in the afternoon. You're going to see mommy soon, right? All of those things that, oh, okay. Right. She gets where I'm coming from versus going, you're going to have so much fun. It's going to be so great. Like, I don't know why you're scared. You shouldn't be scared. It's great. 
I'm like, I remember being a grown adult. And if you put me in any social situation where I didn't know anybody, there's going to be anxiety. Mm-hmm. There is, right? Mm-hmm. We think about like, do you go to a party alone? Probably not. Do you go to a second no alone? I, I Probably might, not. But well, yeah. I'm a little bit different. But you've evolved through all your chakras. You're golden. Yeah. You're, you're diamond. Anyways, I think to expect our young tiny humans to be able to just be tossed into a new class or tossed into a daycare and be totally fine. They have to work through all those normal human emotions. And you can't toss it right into this toxic positivity of like, this is what it's going to look like. When you go to that place, it makes it so their emotions in that very second are so invalid Mm -hmm. because you have now communicated to them. Yeah. Like just flip that. Basically, I can't believe you feel that way. Yeah, like flip it. Just replace that. Just like stop feeling the way you're feeling. Yeah, versus that is so, it's so key. And and have those conversations with her. So I'm proud of you, girl. That's fantastic. But I think when we try to flip and we want them to like, just don't feel that feel this because it makes me feel more comfortable. We teach them. We think that we're helping them. So we're like, oh, we're, we're helping them be more positive. We're helping them be more optimistic. It's good to have optimism. Absolutely. But you need both. Yes. You need this perspective of like, these emotions are here. These emotions are fucking real. Yeah. I feel this way. And if we try to make it so it's not those emotions, we teach them to not trust their intuition, the way they feel. Yes. Right? I'm not supposed to feel this way. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So we feel wrong. So then we add guilt to it. We add guilt to that, right? And so I think it's... Just being where they are. Mm-hmm. Totally. Anyways, we probably got to wrap this one in. I know. This has been what wonderful. You- Thanks for joining us. Thanks for diving in on the chakras with me. It's something that was that, fun. Yeah, I. They really resonate with me, and as I learn more and I grow more in my practice and who I am, I find that those become a really deep part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm glad that you guys let me share. Mm-hmm. And you know what's amazing, girl? Because you just had that download from the universe that mm-hmm. was like. I have a message. I need to communicate it. I love that you just stepped into that and you were like, I need to share this. And this ended up being one platform. I'm sure that there will be other platforms that where you're able to share it. But I just think that's amazing. So we will see you guys next Thursday. All right. We love you guys. All right. Lots of love. Bye. Bye.